It was the worst shipping disaster in American history at that time. September 1857, way off the coast of the Carolinas, the SS Central America was making its way from Panama to New York with 578 people on board, as well as a major haul of gold that was coming out of the California gold rush. A ship had gone from California over to Panama. They had moved it across the strait, and then this ship was now heading up through the Atlantic. And uh, they ran into a Category 2 hurricane and managed to stay afloat for two days before the hull was compromised and the ship went down. 425 souls were lost at sea, along with 15 to 20 tons of gold before help arrived. So much gold was lost that it contributed to Americans losing faith in the U.S. economy, causing the panic of 1857, which was the first time the world had experienced a global economic crisis. Now, it took 130 years before this story about buried treasure managed to pop itself back up in the news again. Tommy Thompson, a young, shipwrecked, obsessed engineer from Columbus, Ohio, convinced several investors that he could find this ship, uh, you know, some 8,000, 10,000 feet below sea level, below, uh, below the surface, uh, out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And even more impossible, he actually found it on October 1st, 1988. He later said, none of us ever thought it would be so otherworldly in its splendor. He started pulling up from 8,000 feet below gold nuggets and coins in pristine condition from the San Francisco Mint. And huge gold bars, including one bar called the Eureka Bar. It was 15 times bigger than any gold bar ever known to have been minted at that time. This one brick was valued in 1988 at $8 million. His search led to the richest find in U.S. history. But Tommy's joy faded pretty fast. Soon word got out that he had found the SS Central America and lawsuits started pouring in. 39 insurance companies sued, all claiming to have insured that gold back in 1857. Imagine that. He got through all those lawsuits and still managed to hold on to 92% of the value of his fine, only to be hit with more lawsuits, including from the original investors who thought they needed a bigger piece of the pie, and even a group of Capuchin monks who claimed to have been given rights to the gold many, many years ago. His obsession with buried treasure soon led to his divorce, and his behavior from that point just became bizarre. He grew reclusive, he rented a mansion in Florida under assumed names, and started paying his rent with moldy $100 bills that he had buried underground somewhere, no one knew where, evading court appearances and the law for years, until he was finally captured just a couple of years ago. When he finally appeared before an Ohio judge a couple of years ago, this judge demanded to know where the treasure was. The FBI was assuming at that point it was being hidden in a bank in Belize. But he refused to tell the judge where the treasure was. And so the judge threw him in prison and told him that he was going to stay there and be fined $1,000 a day until he gave up his secret. And the crazy thing is, all these people are squabbling over his treasure when 95% of it is still buried at sea. 
Hundreds of millions of dollars in gold are still missing for the second time in two centuries. Mr. Thompson is still refusing to this day to tell where his gold is. He is determined he'd rather rot in jail than let anyone else steal his treasure. Even though the treasure, I believe, has already stolen him. It's already stolen his life. In my sermon notes today at MyGrace.Church, you will find there's an article there about um, this man and the, the search for this treasure. And if this, this afternoon, if you want to go back onto the site at MyGrace.Church, in the sermon notes, you'll also find there is a TV show there, about a half an hour long, that tells the story of this guy and this incredible find that he had several years ago. It's an incredible story that keeps unfolding and I believe will continue to unfold for decades to come. It's an appropriate story, I think, of the human condition, of what happens to the heart of a person when he feels entitled to rather than entrusted with the things of this world. You see, since God first created people, we've all had a heart for things, haven't we? We all have our differences of what things we like, but we all fall prey to them at one time or another. We all fall into Tommy's trap over treasure. Our search in life for treasure, for money, for material things can cause us to work so hard and to work so hard to hold on to those things only to realize that they start holding on to us somewhere along the way. They have our hearts. These things can be so easily taken from us and they're the things that actually can take us. And God says to you and I this morning from the pages of Scripture, that is not how I want you to live. Enjoy the things that I have entrusted to you, God tells us, but don't try to hold on to them. Don't make your life about these things because ultimately they're not yours anyway. You've only been entrusted with them. Actually, God says to us, they're mine. In this series, we've been learning about what it means to be entrusted, right? We've been learning that God's deposited within each one of us. He's he's entrusted us three things. Time, talents, and treasures, right? Now, we all think or we wish that God would give us a little bit more of those things. But God entrusts us with them. And as we prove to be wise managers and steward those things well, the Bible says God entrusts us with more. In week one, we talked about how God's entrusted us with a allotted amount of time in this world. And last week, Charlie talked to us about the talents and the abilities that he's invested us, that he's entrusted to us through the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to deal with the toughest one of them all, the one that Jesus warns us about, knowing how subtle yet destructive it can be. And that is our treasures, our stuff. Jesus went as far as to say that where you invest the treasures that God entrusts to you determines the state of your heart. It has the ability to do to you just what it did to a brilliant and engineer and researcher named Tommy Thompson and be so subtle about it that you don't even see it happening. The simple financial advice that turns out to be godly advice, as we're going to see today, is this. Invest wisely. Invest wisely. Wise investors, they don't try to bury or protect their treasures, but they look for opportunities to let go of a good thing now 
in order to gain something better later, right? I mean, that's the point of investing. We look for opportunities to let go of something good now in order to gain something better later. Let's see what that something is that Jesus is talking about. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6 in your scriptures. Matthew 6, right there at the beginning of the New Testament, kind of in the middle of your Bible. And while you're turning there, uh, in fact, again, keep in mind, www.mygrace.church, you can go on your smartphone there. You can also find the sermon notes tab, and you can click on it, and you can read the scriptures there along with us in just a second. But as you're turning there, did you know that this thought or this subject of finances to Jesus was a really big deal? Through the events of the, of, of the Bible, what we see in the life of Jesus, even though Jesus was on the earth some 20 centuries ago, is that people were very much, were very much the same then as they are now. So Jesus spoke more about finances than about faith and prayer combined. Did you know that? Jesus actually spoke more about finances than he did about heaven and hell. He talked about it so much that if I talked about finances as much as uh, on Sunday mornings as Jesus did in the Gospels, I would be talking about finances one Sunday a month, every month here at Grace Community Church. Because Jesus talked about this so much because he knew that money and possessions have the power to derail and even consume us more quickly than anything else. So let's see what, the, what Jesus has to say about it in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And notice what he says here. No one, no one, can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus taught many, many crowds over the three years of ministry that he had on this earth. And this passage that we're looking at today is kind of in the heart of, this, of the largest sermon that we have that Jesus gave as recorded in the Gospels. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It began in Matthew chapter 5, and it goes all the way through Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus taught on several topics in this big sermon, but he spent the most time of all the topics that he talked about that day on this topic, on finances. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, if you look at the very beginning of chapter 6, what you see is that he is warning people about giving and expecting the attention or praise of others, right? But then when we get to verses 19 and 20, where I started reading, Jesus starts talking about investments, right? And he says, don't store up any treasures here. Now, what kind of treasures is Jesus talking about? Basically, He's talking about any kind of material possessions. He says, if it can be eaten or stolen or deteriorate, then Jesus says, don't store it up here because 
it's a bad investment. He says it won't last. Guys, there isn't a single worldly possession that you have or that you could have that can't be lost or stolen or depreciated or damaged or destroyed. Is there? Not a one. Nothing lasts. In fact, there are thousands of people all across our country today who are painfully aware of that. In Houston, in Puerto Rico, in Florida, and in the southeast, in northern California. Jesus is teaching us, and he's teaching this particular group of people at the time, this concept of not burying our treasure. You see, back then, this was, I, I was really interesting to find this. Back then, people would bury, whatever valuables someone would have, they would find a place to hide them or to bury them underneath their homes. Their homes were made out of mud brick. And um, when thieves would come in to steal, they would typically, oftentimes they wouldn't go through the front doors, we find from historical accounts, but they would actually, at night, they would dig through the back wall of a person's home where no one could see them, dig through the wall, and they get into the home when no one is there. And then they'd start digging through the ground inside the home to find where they were burying their treasures. And Jesus is helping them in this moment see the futility of this idea. No matter what kind of wealth you have or what you do to protect it, it will eventually be gone. He doesn't tell us to not own things or not to invest the resources that he entrusts to us to try to earn more. I mean, that's okay. But what he's saying here is... Don't store them up. Don't spend so much time accumulating more and more. But instead, what? What does he recommend? Verse 20. He says, store up those treasures in heaven instead. Not necessarily because you ought to or because you'll feel better about it later, but because it's the wisest investment. It's the investment that will be the best, bring the best yield of return. It's the investment that you can't lose out on. What is selfishly hold on to, held on to, guys, eventually is lost. But what is given away is never lost. It actually comes back later as treasures in heaven. Nothing you store down here can be taken with you. But everything that you store up there can be. How many of you invest, raise your hands, invest in the stock market, mutual funds, maybe you have an IRA or 401k that your boss is putting some money into, yeah? If I were to come to you this afternoon and I were to tell you that I could guarantee you if you invested in me that I could give you a huge return, what would you think? You'd think I'm a scam artist, right? Jesus is saying here, don't waste my resources investing in piddly stuff, in trinkets here. He's saying, store up your treasures in heaven. That is where you can make an investment that will truly last, guaranteed. So how do you do that? I mean, Jesus is saying, don't store up your treasures here. Don't invest here, but invest these treasures in heaven. What does that look like? Have you ever thought about that? What does Jesus mean when he says, store up or invest these treasures in heaven. How do you do that? Well, by living the way that God has asked us to live and by investing in his kingdom work whenever he asks us to do so. He talks about here about loving your neighbor as yourself, about being a cheerful giver and even being willing to give the shirt off your back if he asks you to. He talks about 
making a lifestyle out of giving as God leads, including, as scriptures say, giving a, a tithe or 10% of your, your first fruits of your income back to God through the local church. Jesus calls us, you and I, to live a generous life, to prioritize heavenly treasures over earthly trinkets. Now, you might be hearing this and be thinking, Dave, that sounds wonderful. I totally get it. Conceptually, it makes a lot of sense. But Dave, I can't afford to invest like that. I don't have enough to just store up treasures somewhere else because I need them right here, right now. My family needs them. I need them. I, and I hear you. The problem is, God didn't set up the world to work that way. It's kind of like this. Recently, I heard someone tell me about a well pump that they ran into off of an old farmhouse here in Arizona. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen one of these, maybe. Have you seen one of these before out, out in the desert? Some of us like to go jeep riding and, and kind of go out to these remote places or hiking. And I, I, I've hiked through much of Arizona, and I've run into several homesteads like this with one of these well pumps outside. And they have a handle on the top for you to draw the water out. But here's the deal. Since these pumps sit out in the desert for such long periods of time, these pumps actually become empty, and they won't work unless you do what? Well, before that, unless you pour water down into them to prime them. That's what priming the pump actually means. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done one of these before? So this one pump in Arizona, there was this glass jar of water out next to the pump, and there was a sign attached to the jar. And this is what the, the sign on the jar said. It said, if you use this jar of water to prime the pump, You'll have all the water you want to drink. If you drink the water in this jar, then just throw this note away. In other words, if you drink this, you can use it on yourself, but that's it. You'll be out of water again. But if you give it away, if you pour it out, you'll open up a supply that won't run out. Do you see? That's how God's economy works. We tell ourselves all the time, this is mine. God, I need to hang on to this. God, God, I can't afford to give this away. I can't be generous right now, but Lord, later, I will be generous later. When I have a little bit more, it's always a little bit more, right? When I have a little bit more, then, then I can give. And God says, you don't get it. It's only by giving and living generously, by giving and investing it wisely now, that I can entrust you with more. That's how God blesses us. Besides, God tells us, none of this stuff is ours in the first place, right? I mean, we mistakenly think it's ours. And we, that's when we get off track. The Psalms make it clear that everything in the universe is His. Everything. He created it, and He lets us think it's ours from time to time to use and to give. It's like, I'll give you a good example of this. This is like when my son was real little. And he would buy me something for Christmas or for Father's Day. I mean, he wasn't really buying me anything. But Teresa would take him to the store and she'd point out something and she'd say, Hey, Isaac, why don't you buy Daddy this? Daddy would love this. Oh, okay. Right? Now, did he buy it? No, it was put on my credit card. Right? I bought it. Many times I had already done the bills and I knew what he had bought for me before he even gave it to me. 
But I was, the thing is, I was happy to see my son experience feeling like he was giving it to me. Right? Did you ever think that that's what's happening between you and your heavenly father with all of our treasures? I mean, it's all his. Now, this might all seem crazy to you this morning. It might seem an odd way for God to set up things. To tell you to give rather than to store it for yourself. Unless you understand why. And Jesus tells us why right here in verse 21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Another translation says it really, I love the way it's worded. It says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, he's saying your heart is bound up where your treasure is. They are inseparable. We try to convince ourselves that we can keep them separate, but we can't. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, we are free to enjoy these treasures as long as we don't let them consume us. As long as we don't consume them all on ourselves. We must hold them at arm's length and not let them get the best of us. As they did with Tommy Thompson. Those who do start to love them, Ecclesiastes says, will never have enough. In fact, in verse 11 says, it says, when you start to love them, you will actually experience them slipping through your fingers. Whatever you make your treasure, whatever you value the most, and you try your best to protect, to preserve, to hold on to, has your heart wrapped up all in it. And Jesus is reminding us that if, we, if we're doing that with our treasures here on this earth, if, if, the, if these things on earth are our treasure, then we're in danger. It's like uh, Benny in the movie The Mummy years ago. Have any of you seen this movie, The Mummy? Um, toward the end of this movie, they found this great big treasure room and the room starts to cave in, right? Of course, they always cave in, right? Why is it that every time someone finds a treasure room in a movie, they always cave in at the end? Well, that, that's what happens here. And they're all, you know, this room starts filling up with sand and they all had to get out as it starts filling up with sand. But Benny, this one guy, he starts to hesitate. He attempts to fill his pockets and to drag out these bags full of gold but they're just too heavy. And eventually, the room is sealed and he is trapped in this room full of riches that he will never be able to escape from as darkness falls. Where we put our eyes, where we put our faith, what we work so hard to hold on to becomes the very thing that subtly can take hold of us. In verses 22 and 23, Jesus uses a picture of light and darkness. We read this just earlier. And he's saying that if we get too focused on thing, the things of this world rather than the things of God, then the darkness of this world will subtly lead us away. So he says in verse 24, you cannot live with a divided heart. You cannot you can't be consumed with searching, with striving for more treasure, for more stuff, because you'll end up hating God in comparison. So ask yourself this morning something for me. Ask yourself, where is my treasure? Where's my treasure? 
Does it tend to mostly go into the stuff that I bring home from the mall or from my store of choice? Is it saved away or buried somewhere for safekeeping like Tommy Thompson? Do you hold on to it so tightly that it kind of is hard to let go of and to let God use you to give away? Or is it in heaven, earning you dividends far greater than anything you can try to hang on to here? Is it invested in God's work, the things that you know will gain something for you far greater later? Wise investors, they don't try to bury or protect their treasures. But they look for opportunities to let go of a good thing now in order to gain something better later. I'll close with this. Um, Shortly after the time of Jesus, it was about 250 AD, there was a Roman emperor named Decius who put out an edict. And it was the first time that legislation ever made its way through that forced Christians to choose between their faith and their lives. During this time in Rome, the emperor started having soldiers break into houses of worship and steal all of their money and their valuables. So soldiers broke into this one Christian church in Rome, and there were people there at the time, and the soldiers demanded of these deacons in charge of this church, they said, show me all of your treasures at once. So the deacons actually walked these soldiers into this one room, and they pointed to widows and orphans who were being fed, and to the sick who were being nursed, and they said, there they are, there are all our treasures. May we be like those early Christians who knew how to invest well. Who knew how to store up treasures in heaven, not here. And may we be ever so mindful of the fact that we aren't entitled to anything, but we are entrusted for a time with what we have by our Heavenly Father who really owns it all. Would you pray with me? Lord God, even as I share this message this morning, I know that your, your spirit is working in many of us. Lord, for so many of us, our things have this grip on us, and we tell ourselves so many times that it doesn't, only to realize that once again it does. Our, our bank accounts, our 401ks, our stock options, our material possessions in our garages and in our closets... Lord, all these things that we think we are holding at arm's length, Lord, so many times you show us that we're holding them tightly to our chest and not willing to let them go. Lord, help us to see those things in, that we have that have us, that have a hold on us rather than you. Lord, break that power that those things have in us by giving us hearts of generosity Help us, Lord, to not waste our time storing up earthly trinkets here that at best we can enjoy just in this brief amount of time we have on this earth. But, Lord, to instead invest in treasures in heaven that we will enjoy for an eternity one day when we leave this planet. God, we thank you that our future is secure if we accept you into our lives and our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that when we put you first in our lives, and not only do we have an eternal home, an eternal future, 
But along the way, we're storing up treasures for that moment when we are there. Lord, I pray that you would help us in these moments of struggle. Help us, Lord, to see the struggle that's being waged and to be able to enter into it and do something of it. In Jesus' name, amen.